0: The reading today is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his ruling with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
1: We live in uncertain times. Who would dare to claim that they know where the world is heading? Well, I would. Ultimately, because God has revealed it to us in His Word, and not least here in Psalm 2. Psalms 1 and 2 are the gateway to the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, we looked at last week, presented us with two ways to live the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. It was saying each of us needs to choose. Psalm 1 is individual. Psalm 2 is global. It's saying that I need to know not just where I am going, but I need to know where the world is going, and I need to make sure that I'm on the right side of history. We need to understand it, saying that the world has been promised to the Messiah, but that is something that the world does not accept. And that is where the psalm begins, with rebel rulers. Psalm 1 began with the way of the individual sinner. This is what that looks like when it goes international. The focus here is not on individuals, but on nations and peoples and kings and rulers. And they are raging. They're conspiring and plotting against God and against his king. If you look again at verse 1. It says, why did the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up together, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. The anointed is the king, so rebel rulers, it says, are ganging together, they're plotting against God and they're rebelling because they see the rule of God and his king as being oppressive, as being restrictive. Enslaving, and they want to break free from it. So in verse 2, they say, uh, verse 3, they say, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. It's the essence of sin, isn't it? This rejection of God's rule. We see this at the individual level in an attitude of, I'm not going to go God's way. It's narrow, it's restrictive. I'll live my life as I want to live it, I'll follow my desires. Not his rules, but we th- we see this rebellion against God and His King on the big scale as well in history, in nations and governments, in politics, in authorities, in legislation. We see it in the spread of anti-Christian religious extremism around the world, in radical Islam. We see it in the West in the growing secularization. The spread of neo-Darwinism, the belief that science has now done away with the need for God. We see it in legislation which rejects biblical morality, in sexuality and marriage and abortion. We see it in the rise of authoritarian powers around the world that oppose the Lord and his King. And it's saying we shouldn't be surprised by any of this. This rebellion of the authorities against the Lord and his king, it came to a head in the death of Jesus. In Acts 4.25, the believers quote these first few verses of Psalm 2, and they saw them as being fulfilled in the plotting of the first century authorities against Jesus. And the authorities' hatred for the Lord and his king, it spills over into hatred of his people, and so Peter and John had just been arrested. When we read of authorities around the world persecuting Christians, we shouldn't be surprised. Psalm 2 tells us to expect it. It is because the authorities reject the rule of the Lord and his King. But verse 1 tells us that the, the nations raging like this and the peoples conspiring against the Lord is in vain. Why is it in vain? We turn secondly from rebel rulers to divine derision. Verse 4 says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Earlier this year at Wembley, they had the, uh, the heavyweight title fight between Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko. I don't know if you saw it, but Klitschko's got this two-year-old daughter. And imagine she went up to Joshua, who is six foot six, 17 stone of solid muscle, and she said to him, I hate you! I hate you for beating my dad, and I'm going to knock you over. And she starts flailing around with her arms, hitting his legs with a fist. How would Joshua respond? Do you think? We would just laugh. That is God's response to this pointless plotting of the world's authorities against him. It says that the one enthroned in heaven laughs. He laughs because he's in heaven. He's the all-powerful Creator, the ruler of everything. Rebelling against his rule, it is a joke. It is pathetic and he mocks them. It says the Lord scoffs at them. The rebellion of the authorities is laughable because the Lord has appointed and established his king. So in verse 6 he says, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Zion is the hill on which Jerusalem was built. God appointed David as his king. But he and the kings in his line were just a shadow of becoming Messiah, the Christ, the ultimate king. Because God has appointed Jesus as king, nothing can stop him. And so rebellion against his rule is futile, it's laughable. But it's also no joke because in verse 5 it says, He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Jesus being appointed by God as king is a terrifying truth for rebels. It's no laughing matter for them. If you take on God and his king, it's not going to end well. And that's our third point, global government. So in verse 7 over the page, the Messianic king reports what the Lord said to him. So he says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me... That is to me, the King. You are my son. Today I have become your father. The Davidic kings were called the sons of God. But this title was fulfilled in the ultimate king, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the supreme declaration that Jesus is the Son of God was his resurrection. So Peter says in Acts 13, verse 32, We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, crowned as king, the reign of the Son of God has begun and the world has been put on notice. Lord Farmer will I'm sure be a familiar name to you. Uh, made his money in commodity trading in the city. His hedge fund manages $2.3 billion of uh, assets, one of the largest in the world. For the first, 25, uh, sorry, first 35 years of his life, God did not feature But then one night all that changed rather dramatically, he woke up in bed in the middle of the night and he heard a voice saying to him, Michael, and before his eyes he said he saw a bright light and the words, Jesus is the Son of God. And it struck him that if Jesus really is the Son of God then it changes everything. And he went down to breakfast that morning, a changed man. And he began that very day to follow Jesus as king. And 35 plus years on, he's still living that out. You see that Jesus is the son of God is a game changer for us and for our world. So in verse 8, God says of him, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. The world now belongs to the Messiah been given to him by God to rule over, and rule he will, and those who oppose him he will overthrow. So verse 9 says that you will break them with a rod of iron, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Often I suppose being a rebel is thought of as being a cool thing, uh, you know, a bit edgy, such a rebel, kind of, you know, James Dean character or... Jack Sparrow, Pirate of the Caribbean, or Katniss Everdeen in Hunger Games. Being a rebel against God's king is not cool. It's crazy, it is putting yourself on a collision course with absolute power. In Psalm 1, God's enemies were likened to chaff in the wind, and here in Psalm 2, they are like a pot that is shattered into pieces by a rod of iron. Verse 9 here is actually quoted about Jesus in Revelation 12, 5 and 19, 15, which says that he will rule them with a rod of iron. It says that he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Is this the Jesus we believe in? Because this is the real Jesus and this is where the world is heading. Our culture, though, is allergic to this idea ...of there being a final judgment. In a few weeks' time, the, B- the BBC will broadcast the Christmas service of Nine Lessons and Carols from King's College, Cambridge. The fourth reading is Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9. It's that reading about what the Messiah will do when he comes. and It talks about the wolf lying down with a lamb, and so on. But if you listen carefully, you'll notice that they cut out two verses right in the middle of that reading... Which say this. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. They just cut it out. But there'll be no wolves lying down with lambs. Unless rebellion and evil are dealt with. And actually justice is what people long for. So when a Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey is taken down, people cheer. When Oscar Pistorius' sentence is doubled, people punch the air. When a Mugabe is dethroned, people are dancing in the streets. And conversely, when a Jimmy Savile, when he dies before, before being brought to justice, people groan. Justice is actually what people want. It's what they long for. Justice is what we want. Justice is what is coming. But when it does come, where will that leave each one of us? What should we do? Well, finally, it says, be warned. So verse 10, therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Verse 12 says, kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. God calls us to face reality. Jesus is king. We are not. When the true king, the son of God returns, you don't want to be on the wrong side of him. This is not someone to mess with. And so now is the time for taking off our crowns and putting them in the amnesty bin at the feet of the son and finding forgiveness. In his mercy and love, God calls us to take refuge in the son. So verse 12 says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's very striking, isn't it, that we are to take refuge from the sun, in the sun. Refuge from the sun, in the sun. So be warned, and be wise. So the wise response is to take refuge in Jesus and to submit to Jesus as God's King. So verse ten says, "Therefore, you kings, be wise." Verse eleven says, "Serve the Lord." with fear it's about a change of management we're to live to serve him not just to believe in him but to serve him and we're to do so with fear with reverence recognising his power that he rules those he rescues and so verse 11 says celebrate his rule with trembling as the old Charles Wesley hymn begins rejoice the Lord is king But we rejoice with trembling. In awe of him, joy and reverence together. Verse 12 says, kiss the son. It's not a a romantic kiss. In the ancient world, this was an act of homage. It was a sign of submission. Kissing the feet of the king. This is a wise response to the king that God has appointed In the wider church today, we hear about the therapist, Jesus, who is here to sort out our problems and tell us how valuable we are. We hear about the life coach, Jesus, who is here to help us fulfill our dreams and our potential. We hear about the open-minded, Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what. But what about King Jesus, the one appointed by God to rule the world He's not here to serve me, we're here to serve him. Is that how we see life? That it's about serving Jesus, the King, living under his rule as he rules us through his word, bringing our lives increasingly under that loving rule. In this 500th anniversary year of the Reformation, that's the sort of personal daily Reformation that God calls us to. The rulers of the earth are told in verse 10 to do this and so we should pray for those in authority to be wise, to submit to the rule of Jesus the King but we do need to make sure that we ourselves are doing it as well. We live in a world in futile rebellion against God and his King but the Son will rule, his enemies will be overthrown People speak, don't they, about getting on the right side of history? Well, that means getting on the right side of this King, the Son of God. Because this is where the world is heading. So be warned and be wise.